0: Well, this is John Van Bladel at the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. And welcome back as we endeavor together to create a more peaceful world. Today's podcast is titled Compassion, Spiritual and Secular Perspectives. And I'll be inviting the bell of mindfulness on occasion to slow us down a bit, or to slow me down more succinctly and to allow ourselves to breathe together and each time i invite the the bell uh, please breathe in and out three times at a normal rate and we will continue from there so we'll invite the bell right now and we'll breathe together So for a long time, the study of compassion was relegated to religious study. Now it's being researched from a secular perspective. This is a good thing as it moves us more into the mainstream. Uh, Like the study and practice of peace, it's becoming a professional and respected discipline. And Compassion also fits in nicely with the movement towards diversity, equity, and inclusion in some of our educational systems. That, of course, is being resisted in some places as part of what some have termed a woke agenda. Um, which is a disinformation campaign. Um, And should anyone call you woke, you can always employ nonviolent communication and engage them in a conversation. So, you're concerned that I am woke. Um, Ask them to explain it. I'm not sure what you mean. Could you explain it to me? And remember, uh, the existing power structures do not normally change voluntarily. Um, They need some assistance in changing and cultures do not change quickly. So we've seen this throughout history in the many nations who struggled for sovereignty in the individual and collective ri- struggle for human rights that we're experiencing and have experienced across history. The US itself escaped the tyranny of the British, and we continue our experiment with democracy. And if you remember our Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But when that was created, it only applied to a limited number of select individuals at that time, in white affluent males. Expanding the franchise to all Americans has been a slow process, and also expanding it to all people across the world, which is why we have the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So racism, a component of structural violence, um, has been present here since Europeans set foot on North American soil and prior uh, to the world that they came from. The brutal treatment of Native Americans you know, is well-documented, and many of our founding fathers actually owned slaves as they fought for their own independence. Now, the contradiction, or some would say the hypocrisy, is obvious. Now, when you have something as deeply rooted as racism, it's not easily unseated, uh, stoking racial fear, Misunderstanding and sometimes hatred continues to be an effective political tool to divide people and garner votes, and over the past several years, hate crimes owing largely to rhetoric directed against minority groups has been on the rise. It's the same old formula that has been used for millennia, and it's effective. Identify a group, make people believe that we're in danger from them, and scapegoat them, or that they're the cause of our suffering. So 2022, last year, may be the fourth consecutive year that there's an increase in hate crimes overall, and specifically against Asian Americans, uh, due to attitudes generated about the pandemic. Now, those being attacked are not responsible for the pandemic. It's a racist act. If you are attacking them, you are committing hate crimes. We know why people embrace racism. It's well-researched. We've come up with some solutions to it, like implementing hate crime laws, but we still have trouble implementing them. Now, targeting minorities as the problem, whether they're LGBTQIA++, blacks, Jews, immigrants, or any other group, is sadly not only tolerated, but it's become a rallying point for many. Now, I've spoken in prior podcasts about the methods we use to disable empathy so we can develop an internal dialogue that rationalizes treating people as equal, or, excuse me, as lesser than or unworthy of equal rights and respect. Now, part of the problem is our culture supports bullies, and I'm going to connect this a little later on as to why this is significant. And bullying is often rewarded with wealth and power. So whether it's a schoolyard bully, the manager at work who employs a kiss-up, kick-down, managerial approach to create a hostile and intimidating environment and promotes those who acquiesce to their approach... Or, in regards to the U.S. or other countries using economic and military force or violence to inflict our will on others, the sense of entitlement or self-centeredness that our needs are primary and others are secondary is deeply rooted in many of us. We've come to believe targeting people for unequal treatment and violence is acceptable. But in order to do this, we have to disconnect empathically from them, because that puts us on the path to dehumanizing them and justifying aggression towards them. So we could talk a long time about what I've just said, but that's a basis to, um, you know continue this particular podcast. So the good news is, is that the foundations for changing our society are also present and virtually every person on the planet has been exposed to them. Almost every spiritual tradition has the golden rule as its moral or ethical foundation. And here are a few of the statements offered by spiritual traditions. In Christianity, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Confucianism do not do to others what you would not like yourself, then there will be no resentment against you, either in the family or in the state. Buddhism hurt not others in ways that you find you yourself find hurtful. Hinduism we sh- one should not behave towards others in a way which is disagreeable to oneself. This is the essence of morality. All other activities are due to selfish desires. Islam. No one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. Judaism. I really like this one. What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow men. This is the entire law. All the rest is commentary. That really says it clearly. Taoism. Regard your neighbor's gain as your as your gain, and your neighbor's loss as your loss. Zoroastrianism, and yes, that does exist. (laughs) Actually, it's the first monotheistic religion. Uh, It actually came before quite some time before Christianity. Uh, That nature alone is good, which refrains from doing another. Whatsoever is not good for itself. Uh, Probably could say that a little bit more clearly. And Jainism, a man should wander about treating all creatures as he himself would be treated. That's from a website that says every religion has a golden rule, which I'll post um, tomorrow. So you may even be able to follow the golden rule without having too much empathy or compassion. You can do it from a cognitive perspective. Now, empathy and compassion will will develop over time when you see the benefit to yourselves and others. But most of us have the capacity for empathy and compassion. We just have to nurture it. So here's a question. What would happen if compassion was included as part of our education beginning in grade school? There'd be a lot of benefits, at least for those of us who are interested in creating a more just and equitable society. Which I think are most of us. What if we learn to see ourselves in the suffering of others and recognize that by harming them, we essentially were harming ourselves? if compassion becomes a practice that is rewarded, then our culture changes. As an example, rather than tormenting a child who has poor hygiene by calling him stinky, we can can recognize that he has some needs that are not being met. And we can choose to take action to meet those needs, to relieve his or her suffering, rather than behave in a way that increases it. Now this is a tall order, as schools are hierarchical systems that often afford students and employees superior status over others, it's institutionalized um, or systemic. If you are a student or a professional, assigned lower status, you are often required to conform and respect the existing power structure uh, to not make waves. And I always think of tenure tracks which are particularly treacherous to negotiate and the hazing that's involved that models the manner in which we'll then treat others who follow us. This of course in an educational system is then transmitted to students and the whole system replicates itself. When I say whole system, once again, I mean the systemic issues that lead to people being denied the opportunity based on race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, status within a culture, to reach their potential. What we teach, which is really the example that we set, has some really long-term effects on people. Now think about the experiences you had as a student in grade school both the good and the not-so-good ones, and you know they can leave a mark on you that stick with us throughout our lives. They are often sustained over a year or longer in, you know, grade school when you're stuck with the same educator. Um, Take a look at Ray Rist and his article on ghetto education, and that'll give you some of the... uh, actually it's a really good example of what happens to people from lower-income minority communities. Now, professionally, at my one of my jobs, I remember an incident where an instructor, because we have the hierarchy, you know, instructor, I think it's assistant, associate, and then divine, um, when you reach the top of the ladder, uh, had flyers that students made with an event on it, and this person's name was on it. And one of the flyers was, was surreptitiously slipped under the instructor's door, because apparently uh, the word professor had been put on the flyer mistakenly, and the word professor was crossed out, and it was slipped under their door. Wow. The message, know your place. Talent and ability were not necessarily considered. The role that you were assigned as lesser did. So the existing structure, interestingly, at colleges, but particularly two-year colleges is supposed to be colleges of opportunity, held you to your place. I made it very clear what your place is, and I consider this a form of structural violence. So one of the issues I run into continually is that people mistake kindness and compassion for weakness and stupidity and I have a whole lot of stories about that one, uh, with some of the more aggressive types who are going to test you, there is a way to address this. You've heard me identify this before as informed, assertive compassion. We can learn to assert ourselves in a way that commands respect without diminishing others. And we have to remember that not everyone is going to be coming from the same place that we are, a place of compassion, or have the same uh, relationship with us. In essence, they may not have studied it. And I myself was in an an eye-for-an-eye mentality for periods of my life. Um, I remember being exposed to compassion early in 2000 uh, at a Buddhist site, and I remember thinking to myself, well, what if I think that person hasn't suffered enough? Uh, (laughs) But I changed my perspective through reading, uh, watching people, and experimenting with compassion. It's effective. Cycles of violence just perpetuate themselves, whether it be structural or physical violence. This does not help us, as individuals or collectively. We can learn to stand up for ourselves and each other if we learn to practice an informed assertive compassion. If the norm can be changed to standing up for each other, if bullies are no longer rewarded, if instead they are held accountable for their actions, our culture will change. I don't see us as having a choice at this point. We're at a point where there's going to be increasing competition for diminished resources and climate change is upon us. We have to understand that living in harmony with nature and with each other is the only sane alternative. That doesn't mean there won't be conflicts, but there needs to be a way to resolve them in a way that benefits all of us. So we're going to continue to talk about compassion next time. Keep trying to practice some meditation, whether it be sitting, walking, jogging, elliptical trainer meditation. Um, you can also continue to listen to people with the express intent of understanding rather than judging what they have to say. Assert yourself when, when it's necessary. Walk away from toxic conversations if you can. And let's make compassion a part of our daily lives. That's it for today wishing you all some peace of mind